If you're going to do something and you want to help one of your family members, put them in a position to where, yeah, they can eat, but you teach them how to fish and then they'll be able to eat for a lifetime. You're listening to the Redefining Wealth podcast with Patrice Washington. In today's episode, I sit down with entrepreneur, author, and you may recognize him as a former NFL linebacker, Takeo Spikes. He's here to share what helped him be thoughtful with money in an episode called I'm Not Going Back. Hey there, this is Patrice Washington from patricewashington.com, where we chase purpose, not money. Welcome back to another episode of Redefining Wealth. To all my OG listeners and purpose chasers, thank you so much for coming back week after week. Your ratings, your reviews, the way that you share in social media are such a blessing, and you are why this podcast continues to grow exponentially. And I just want you to know that I appreciate you so much. If you're brand new here, welcome to the family. Here's what you just stepped into. We are a community that believes that wealth is so much more than money and material possessions. We believe in the original 12th century definition, which says it's about the condition of well-being. So each and every week, I teach from the six pillars of wealth, the interviews, the guests that I invite. They're all about the six pillars of wealth, which are the truth behind what it means to build sustainable wealth, not just financial wealth, but in every area of our lives. I want you to get caught up. So go to patricewashington.com forward slash start here and grab the free audio training, which breaks it all down. You'll see a link to it in the show notes. And I also want you to know that this episode is brought to you by my brand new book, Redefine Wealth for Yourself, How to Stop Chasing Money and Finally Live Your Life's Purpose. I am so excited about all of the lessons that are in this book that are going to help you build wealth from the inside out. You can find out more at redefinewealthforyourself.com. I am so excited for you to hear this episode. When I was thinking about the Thoughtful Money series, as I shared last week, I really wanted to have some unconventional conversations around what it takes to truly be thoughtful with the process, right? Thoughtful with how we think through our money stories, our money habits, our money rituals. And I was introduced to Takeo on a whim. Really, it was a last minute opportunity when we were both nominated for Black Podcast Awards. And he said a few things that really just struck a nerve. And I thought, oh my gosh, he would be so great for this conversation. And he finally said yes. So I can't wait for you to hear this because I know one of the stories, if you've heard me from the stage, one of the things that I always talk about are the athletes, entertainers, celebrities, different folks who have had access to a lot of money, but then reverted right back, sabotaged in one way or another themselves right back into similar positions just a couple years later in many instances. And we judge and we say, well, what's wrong with them? Why weren't they more thoughtful? But the truth is who we are with the dollar is who we are with the million. And I love this conversation with Takeo and how he illustrates this so well. So let me read his bio and we'll jump in. Drafted in the first round, 13 pick overall by the Cincinnati Bengals in 1998, Takeo Spice excelled on the gridiron. He was a two-time All-Pro, a two-time Pro Bowl selection, and is one of only seven linebackers in league history with more than 200 starts while playing for the Bengals, Buffalo Bills, Philadelphia Eagles, San Francisco 49ers, and San Diego Chargers. In December 2016, because he had prepared for life after football, Spikes published his first book, Behind the Mask, a collection of intimate short stories and photographs, which he took of some of the greatest linebackers to ever play in the NFL. His podcast of the same name, Behind the Mask, tells the real stories of some of your favorites on and off the field and what happens when we allow ourselves to peel back the layers and get real. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Takeo Spikes. Welcome to the Redefining Wealth podcast, Takeo. 
What's happening then, Patrice? What's going on? Oh my gosh, I am so excited. I have to tell you this. So we met because we were both nominated for Black Pod Award, right? And I think I met you maybe four months ago, something like that, four or five months ago. I don't remember when it was now. And they asked last minute to kind of jump on and talk about the award show and all those things. And I heard you speaking and I was like, this guy man, this is good. <laughs> like, I want him to be on my podcast. I have to tell you, Takiyo, I had no idea who you were. I've never been like a big sports person. Yeah. I, I only played basketball and volleyball in high school. And that was the extent of my sports interest. <laughs> and I really didn't know who you were. I you just well, told my husband this week that I was interviewing you. And he's like, what? How did, what? So you made me a big deal in my house this week. Well, you know what? Put your husband on because I might need to talk to him. <laughs> what if he was here? He's not even here. He's missing out on the good stuff. But I, I really like, obviously, as I research more, but I'm an energy person and, you know, just attracted to people that I feel like have a good spirit, a good heart. And I, I can't even pinpoint what you were saying during the conversation. I know you were talking about what what made you start your podcast behind behind the mask. Yeah. And I know you have a book under the same title and stuff, but I just thought, wow, what a brilliant dude. So I invited you and you actually said yes. And now you made me really popular in my house this week. So I just want to thank you for that. No, I think it's uh, at the end of the day. I think it's, you know, how people say game recognize game, but it's substance recognize substance. And I had no idea, you know, of your background and who you were, but Immediately when the request came in and I started looking and I was like, okay, like I, like I didn't know, but I'm definitely interested. And I saw, you know, the, the lineup of guests and it was more so of, I love how the conversation was free flowing. And so I felt like this was a prime opportunity. Um, basically how you said, you said you didn't know anything about me. This is a prime opportunity for me to be, to get more acclimated with your listeners, your viewers, and I'm going to share it on my platform so all of my listeners and viewers can hear the same thing. Awesome. I love it. I love it. So I've already read your bio for the audience, but so I met you as a podcaster and I know that you're an author and a photographer and all these things. One of the, one of the things that we talk a lot about here on the podcast is how purpose evolves. Yeah. And a lot of times, right, you step into something you're passionate about or you feel like is your purpose. You take on this title and then you think that's all you're supposed to be or do or have for the rest of your life. And you were in the NFL for 15 years. Is that right? Right on. For 15 years. And I know that when a lot of people leave sports, they can feel like that's the end of it. Yeah. Like, okay, that there's nothing else for me. I did what I came to do, but you've actually continued to evolve. How have you been able to make that pivot? What looks like seamlessly, but what has your actual experience been in making that shift? Well, it, it was it was tough. And the question is so good in my head right now. I think of several answers that I really could give to you, but I, I can tell you it was hard. And it wasn't just one thing that really took me to that next level. As I look back, it really goes to the same what you put in is exactly what you're going to get out. And so it goes back to, I remember, you know, my third year, we had labor meetings and the NFL Players Association would come inside of the locker room and they would just, you know, I saw guys and I was still new to the game. And so the business side, so I would see guys like, ah, if y'all ain't got that royalty check for me, like, I ain't trying to stay in here what you got to say. Just catch, hit me up on the recap. And so for me, I was like, well, I mean, I, I just got here, but like, I think this is kind of important. So for me, I never wanted to rely on somebody to give me information that I felt like was important. So I, you know, I took ownership and then I decided to listen. Fast forward, I go to my next team and I was a labor rep, a union rep at that time for that team. And 
I was responsible for educating the guys, the same guys who didn't want to stay or the guys who wanted to know more, but they just really didn't feel like they had time. So I wanted to learn. I was a dry sponge. That was exactly who I was. And so I was absorbing everything that they gave. And and I remember my mother telling me, boy, you better take your butt back to school. And I remember telling her, what am I going to go back to school for? You go to school to make money, right? And um, lo and behold, I finished up my 15 years. I served as a um, player representative for our union and sat on a couple of boards, committees. And that really transcended to after 15 years, I really didn't. I was like, man, like I took a step back and realized out of all of the years that I played, you know, now being 44 years old, I played organized football 29 years out of my life. I retired at 36. And so when I look back at it, it was like, what's next? And so I thought about what my mother told me. I decided to go back to school. And when I went back to school to get my undergrad at Auburn, I had a couple of my homeboys. They already got their degree and they were going to get their MBA. And so I was like kind of the youngest out of the crew. So I was like, man, ain't no way in hell I'm about to let you go back to school because you already think you know more than me just because you're older than me. And so I decided like, all right, well, I'm going to jump into school and I got my undergrad. And so as soon as I got my undergrad, they were about to start. So I went ahead and dove into that. I ended up writing the book, my photography coffee table book behind the mask. And so everything really kind of transcended into that. And the one thing that I really found out and noticed was I really got joy. I felt purpose out of helping people and not just giving handouts, but really giving them information to where it really sparked their curiosity. Mm -hmm. It really opened up doors to allow them to be the author of their own autobiography. And that's what really kind of just got me into the mode and to the person who I am today. And I continue to do that by giving back to the guys, creating programs to help guys transition out of the game and trying to be that connector. So you're not feeling depressed. So you're not feeling like you don't have any worth. At the end of the day, that's what it's all about for me, because when you serve people, you will be surprised what you get back in return. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's been a journey. Right. And one of the things that I always tell people when they're like, well, I can't find you know, what God has called me to do. I can't figure out what, what I'm supposed to do next. I always say, go back and look at the, like, look at the breadcrumbs of your life. Look at what you, like you being interested in even being a labor rep. When most people were like, I'm out of here. I'm not about to do that. I'm not going to sit through this thing, but you were already showing interest in so many ways and what you would eventually do anyway. But we don't think about it like that. But it's the stuff that you were naturally drawn to. Yeah, it, it was stuff that I was naturally drawn to simply because I give a lot of credit to my mother and my father. You know, my mother, she was an educator and she's retired now. But I just remember hearing her voice in my head. Why wait on somebody to do something for you when you know you can do it yourself? And then the best thing that comes out of that is you, when you do it yourself, you're able to retain it. Now it's your IP versus somebody else, intellectual property. She used to drill that in my head all the time. So that's simply how it really all started. I love it. Okay, so I want to go back. Looks like you had a a great upbringing, but I want to go back to before you went to the league. What was your expectation of how you would interact with money? Like, did you have a plan for your wealth or or were you classic what we think of when we think of uh, athletes getting that first check or that first contract? All right. I got a good story. Y'all got to see this smile. <laughs> I got a good story. This smile. All right. So hold on. I just want to make sure I frame the answer right. So can you repeat that question again? How old were you when you went to the league? 21. You were 21 when you went to the league. So while you were dreaming in your teenage years of getting to the league, knowing that 
you know, if I make it, I'm going to get this check or get this contract, whatever you thought it was going to be. What was your plan for money then? What was your mindset around money at that time? The mindset was I grew up in a small rural town in Georgia, Sandersville. Shout out to Washington County. But the mindset was as much as I love where I came from, I'm not going back because I have to go back. I'm not living the way that I used to live because of me being negligent. And so um, I was just telling this story to a friend. This is the first time I'm sharing this story publicly. But the mindset was I came out, I was a first round pick, 13th overall. And, you know, signed a multi-million dollar contract. And I remember like the mindset was whatever you do, you can't go back and you can't go broke. And so for me, I remember watching my mother, Patrice. Okay. I remember watching her on Sunday mornings after church in the afternoon, she used to sit at the table and she used to balance her checkbook. Now, mind you, this is 98, you know, computers, internet, all of that stuff is out. You still got all of the Excel, you know, the, the, the programs and everything to, uh, to do the accounting. So I'm like, I, right. you know, I don't got this signing bonus. So I need to make sure I watch my coin. So what I would do was at the beginning of every week, no, at the end of every month, I used to, I used to have a, this is before when I first got it. Now I used to sit down and try to balance a checkbook because I had not made any investments. I said, I'm not making any investments until I know exactly where my money is going. So I had the money in a checking account and I'm like, I, you know, 3 million and you know, this. And so at the end, my math always came out wrong compared to when the bank statement, because the bank statement, I had more money when they, when their statement came out compared to what my math that I was doing. So I laugh and I share that story because like the mindset was I was making sure that I wasn't going to go broke. I was making sure that I watched my coin because I heard so many guys say, hey, when guys leave the league, you know, 70 to 70, 70 to 80 percent of the guys, they're either broke or divorced, end up in a divorce when they leave. So for me, I just thought it was funny because I'm like, I know I'm pretty good at numbers, but the damn computer numbers were better than mine. And I'm trying to balance <laughs> one million dollars at the end of every month. But the fact that you were that intentional, like the fact that even just from seeing your mom do that with, I'm sure, a lot less commas and zeros, but but the habit and the practice, so many of us get the way we interact with money is based on a lot of times what we saw, right? Or the extreme, like we didn't see anything. So we're way over there. Were you able to get some of your fellow players or friends to adapt the same mindset or was that a struggle or did people even know that you were that meticulous at that time? Uh, They knew I was meticulous and they knew that by, if we were to go out to eat and it was, (laughs) Hey, uh, Spice, you got this. No, I don't. (laughs) You make money the same way I make money because I see you at work. So we don't split this thing. And then that way we can ball out for a long time together. You know, so uh, so it was like it was like the accountability piece. And I think that's how they found out. But we really I'm going to tell you what a true education really starts in the NFL or any environment. When you talk about athletics, especially on the professional level, they start right inside of the locker room when you have those conversations. And the thing that I want to stress to any athletes out there. I know you have a large woman following, women following. Mm -hmm. And like you have to be intentional and strategic about everything that you do, especially when you become of age. And in those locker rooms, that's what that conversation was like. Hey, man, how much how much money? Something as simple as, hey, how much your financial company is charging you? Well, uh, this person may not know. 
Well, this person may say, well, they charge a percent of everything that you give them as far as assets. Then another person say, well, I got mine down to a half a percent. So, you know, that's what that's really true. I think that's that's where I felt like I was so good because I was that dry sponge, as I talked about earlier. Yeah, I love that. I love that. But people are, are, are so intimidated and ashamed to talk about money. You know, we're not all in the locker room, but around the water cooler at your cubicle with your friends at brunch it's oftentimes the thing that folks don't want to bring up. And I love that you talked about splitting the bill because a lot of people use covering the tab to fill a void, right? So it becomes this perception like, I don't want people to think I'm broke. I don't want people to think I haven't made it. I don't want people to think, insert the blank. And so now we're trying to keep up appearances. And it's not that you don't have it. Right. I think that's where people get it twisted. It's not a matter of not having it. I'm just choosing to do something different. I'm choosing to be the person who's like, no, I don't need to buy your affection or your love or your validation or your affirmation because I bought you a round of drinks. That's not how that works. That's a great point, because I mentor a lot of young guys and I tell them, I say, look, I'm not going to be that person that comes into comes into your life and tell you you shouldn't go to Vegas. You shouldn't be paying $5,000 for a table. You shouldn't be doing that. I'm a hypocrite if I do that. I did that. Mm -hmm. I was that person, but I learned quickly from an OG pulling me to the side. It's like, listen, man, do you like the true definition of balling or having a sustainable lifestyle is not what you can do while you're getting paid at the moment. Anybody can do that. How long can you do it after you leave the game? And so one of the things that I tell them is this, Spike's like, well, how do you kind of manage it when it's a lot of people around? And I simply just tell them, I say, look, just don't be afraid to say this. And I live by this, this mantra for my entire life. Like, I'll give you an example. I wanted a Ferrari. And like, that was my dream car. And I could have bought it when I came out as a rookie. But I couldn't fathom paying six figures for a car. I just couldn't. And so I used to tell people, I didn't get a Ferrari until my 14th year in the league and really yeah I didn't I didn't get a high-end car because let's be honest if you get it your first year like you ain't going to no damn Toyota after that (laughs) you're gonna have to keep going up the ladder you know what I'm saying so but I knew that but I tell them I used to tell them and I still tell them today the thought of me having a Ferrari excites me more than actually having a Ferrari oh and, and that thought is just me knowing, like, I can go get it if I want to, but I don't want to. So, like, that's that turned me on internally. I love that. The thought. If more of us thought about that, because a lot of people, especially those of us that could be emotional spenders, the high is when you, like, see it and you go get it and then you're over it. Yeah, it sits in the closet or it sits at your house or wherever, like any other thing you walk by it. You don't really you don't even smile at it no more. It was the thought. It was when it was on the vision board or when you had it saved as your screensaver. That was the thing that keeps a lot of us going and excited. But once you get it, you got it. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's no different than I know this is financial talk, but it's no different than relationships. You know, like we talk about relationships, too. You good. (laughs) You know, you see somebody who you want to connect with and the time that you're very excited is that 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 premature time before you actually get a chance to to know them and spend more time with them. So it's the anticipation, you know, before you actually, you know, make it tangible. Yeah. Okay. so what about when it's not friends and it's not just, you know, buying the bar out or getting a table? What about family? or folks that you've known since you were a child, the people who used to come see you play when you were eight years old and they remind you every day leading up to the draft that I used to come watch you play every Saturday, right? And I'm sure if it, if not from your personal experience, I know you've seen it or heard about it, just the guilt, the financial guilt sometimes people develop because of the expectations of other folks around who expect to get a piece of your financial wealth. And and I believe that a lot of people have challenges in this area, not because they were spending irresponsibly, but for some people, they were giving 
and investing in things kind of like you said, they didn't necessarily understand, but because my cousin said, and because this person, like what's your thoughts around that? And even for everyday people, that trap of guilt from others. I can sit here and say, you don't owe anybody anything. And that is the truth, but that's not reality. When you come from nothing and the majority of your people are in that same atmosphere, they in that same community, that same environment, and they've supported you. It's only human nature that you want to be able to give back and be able to help them. And I still don't have a problem with that. And that goes back to, I think a lot of it goes back to messaging. The thing that I I will say, I, I had a good foundation. And what helped me personally was I remember my father, he's passed now, but he told me, I remember back in 98 before the draft, he told me, he was like, listen, he used to call me key man. Key man, you don't owe me nothing. You don't owe us anything. What I did for you, I did it because I was supposed to do it for you. Now, if you want to do something for me, I ain't going to tell you I don't want it, but I'm just letting you know, don't feel the pressure like you need to do anything because I did what I was supposed to do. That right there alleviated a lot of pressure off of me. So I didn't feel a lot of pressure coming in from outside people because I felt like my daddy would tell me he don't owe me nothing. And he was the one hauling me around and supporting me. I know I don't owe you nothing. And so, you know, my message to a lot of guys who still feel that or still go through that. Yeah, you want to put your people in a position to be able to win. And I've been through that. But I would tell them everybody wants to eat and that's okay. That's natural. But where you have to draw the line in the sand is understand how can you make it sustainable for them to be able to eat on their own versus eating off of you. You do that by not just handing them a big handout because they're going to blow it. Mm -hmm. Like we all came from nothing. So the financial literacy needs to be there. So, you know, one of the things that I implement and I talk to a lot of young guys, if you're going to do something and you want to help one of your family members, put them in a position to where, yeah, they can eat, but you teach them how to fish and then they'll be able to eat for a lifetime. And that means you set them up with financial literacy. If they want to do a car wash, all right, this is where I'm going to cap it off. But I want you to understand you must go work at this car wash and understands the bare bones of how it works from ground up. And when you understand that, I will be more than happy because now you put in sweat equity into it. And so now it's not more so, oh, I just got this bread from you so I can just go do this. Mm-hmm. Now you understand how the, the accounting works. Now you understand how the customer relations work. You understand the total gamut of what goes into that business. So that's one of the things that I, I try to tell guys to understand it big picture. So Takiya, what happens though when they're like, well, I don't have time for all that, cousin. I don't, I don't, I don't have time to go work over there for six months or go shadow under this business for a year. I'm telling you, it's gonna work because I saw it in my head. Just give me the money. In in that case, what do you say? If you go to a bank and you tell them that, what you think they're gonna tell you? So you better off doing what I'm telling you you're going to do. And I get it. It is it's it's and, it's, and that's where the tension comes in. But I would I stress and I tell a lot of people at the end of the day, you have to be consistent with your messaging and understand it's not personal, but I'm doing this to be able to help you. Because at the end of the day, it's a strong chance. I give you 25K, you're going to blow that 25K. And then what else are you going to do? Look at me right. again and ask I'm for back. another 25 with a great idea. So it's like, it's understanding like, I'm not telling you no, but these are the parameters that you must hit in order for me to come on board to help you. That's it. Having parameters. It's not an absolute no, but you have a right to have parameters for your money. Just like you just said, the bank, if the bank was going to lend money, they have terms and conditions. They have underwriting. You need to go through some things to make sure that you're not a risky investment. But a lot of, I will say this in a community full of women, a lot of my ladies in particular, and I'm saying my ladies, like the ones that I coach, because I don't know every woman who listens to the podcast, but a lot of the women that I coach are afraid to put parameters 
around the gifts or the loans or whatever they're giving. And in the long run, it's detrimental to them. And like you said, it's not sustainable. Yeah, it's, it's never sustainable. It, it never it never will be sustainable. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, you know, when you talk about guys, we respect tough love and we may not acknowledge it in the beginning, but sometimes we have to go through what we're going through. And I think, you know, this is like man law number 21 I'm giving out. (laughs) But I think as women, you have to be, you can't be afraid if you really want to draw that line in the sand and make it be a lesson, um, you can't be afraid of letting go in order for it to come back. Mm. Because when we come back, we ain't got to have that conversation again because I saw like, it's like have teaching a kid what hot means putting your hand over stoves. I can tell you it's hot, but until you actually feel that heat, that's when you're going to believe it. And I think that's, that's a good message you know, for women understanding like most men, like I I get it. We're stubborn. We got to see things for ourselves, but um, you have to allow us enough room, not too much, but enough room to be able to go out there. And if you tell me it's hot now, I know it's hot. Now we don't have to have that conversation again. Yeah. One of the things that I've learned over the years is sometimes to help people, you have to stop helping because there's a difference between a hand up and a handout. Like people who are willing to do their part, right? And they're willing to put the time, the energy, the effort into learning, to to doing whatever they can to improve the situation. You don't ever mind giving a hand up. Like you see somebody like doing what they can do. They're doing all they can do and you have an expertise or way to help. Absolutely. But that's different than just enabling people. Yes. That's very different than just enabling. And you got to know when to draw the line. It's a lot different and and this is what I also say. There's no need for everybody to be broke. Like somebody got to have something. Broke plus broke equals broke. You know what I mean? like, broke squared. Yeah, broke squared. You know what I mean? So like simple math. Yeah. <laughs> I learned it from Steve Harvey when I was on the Steve Harvey show, but I, I learned later that Dr. George C. Frazier actually came up with this quote. It was in one of his books. But he said, the worst thing you can do for a broke person is become one of them. And essentially, because you're in no position to help. Now, if I allow you to drain my resources as well, because I'm not being mindful, I'm not being thoughtful, I'm not being meticulous or just or just thinking long term and sustainably. Eventually, we're going to be two broke people looking at each other and we can't do anything, you know, to really serve others. And I know for you. You are like a big philanthropist. I've seen you reading to kids, <laughs> reading, to, reading to the kids, giving, I, you know, pre-COVID days. I was all in your Instagram. I was, I was all back, right? I believe that generosity is truly a wealthy habit. And it appears that you are very into giving and community. Why is that? Why is that a part of who Takeo Spikes is? It's a lot, but I've realized that we never can become the person who we really destined to be if you don't understand the principle of serving. And it's going to sound so crazy, maybe to a lot of people, but I've gotten more deals. I've received more freebies or whatever you want to call them simply because I was showing I was a good person And I just didn't throw money at a situation, but I threw my time because I saw something in somebody who simply like what you just talked about a few minutes ago. Somebody just needed a hand up and I was willing to extend that. And the reason why is because somebody gave their hand to me outside of my close knit circle of my parents. And I saw what that did for me. I saw what it did for my confidence. And that's simply all what I'm doing. Like we talk about trying to change the narrative when it comes to systemic racism. That's a good start. If you take time to be able to understand, listen, like we can't sit around and wait for a handout or wait for somebody to give you something. Why not be active? You can give somebody something outside of our currency. You can give them knowledge. You can show them the way. 
and they can be fruitful as well. And I've just received, and I'm not saying I do it just because I'm looking for something in return, Mm -hmm. but I I just, I believe this firmly. In life, you work for two types of checks. One is an emotional check and the other one is a physical check. And I tell you, the physical check, yes, it damn sure feels good. But that emotional check, there's nothing like when you can get your heartstrings just stroked every day. And I like, and and I enjoy that. And I do it with a purpose because I know, you know, we talk about systemic racism. We talk about getting out of poverty. A lot of that is, is, is the reason why I do it, because I know I came from I came from a good family of a foundation two parent home. But we we were not even nowhere even near close to rich, like period. But I understood and I, I saw and I know what contribution, I know what sacrifice, I know what it means when you go to church and you see people, everybody looking out for each other. That's a place where it used to be a place that, you know, depending on where you go, but <laughs> it's a place to where people will people will look at you and say, there's no criticism. And I'm here yeah. to help you get to the next level. And so that's the reason why I do what I do, because I want to be able to give in particular, my black and brown babies, I want to give them an opportunity to to get somewhere to where they never thought that they could do or never thought that they could be. Yeah, I I love everything you said. And one of the things that I I say all the time too, and I, I didn't even realize I was saying this. It was actually like clients or different people who pointed it out, but that I have a heart to serve. I know that I'm going to be taken care of. Like, I just believe it's, the law. Right. But I have a heart to serve. And, and, and the thing that I love that you touched on is it's not with a, it's not with some level of expectation. Like I'm doing this to get that right. Because we can tell when people are only doing things for the show. I'm I'm sure, you know, other former players or friends or whatever, where they show up when it's going to be lights, camera action, and they know it can be written up in a paper or blog, but do you show up when it's just when it's not all that, when it is just the elementary school kids, there's not going to be a whole bunch of fanfare. Like the kids are the fanfare or yep. whatever. And I think that is what matters. And I've always said it here, you know, redefining wealth. We don't just talk about money. It's probably the least thing we talk about, but you're in a series. <laughs> so so I'm talking more about money, but we talk about even the people pillar and creating relationships that matter and how the truth is, when you create those genuine relationships in so many ways, it it indirectly gets you to the wealth you say you want in the form of introductions or opportunities or whatever. But where people are fighting and clawing and manipulating their way into an opportunity, you were just being nice to someone and they were like, hey, I'm going to put you in touch with so and so. And here you are, you know, weeks, months, a year later with a deal that you couldn't have even asked for. You couldn't have, you didn't even know it existed to even ask for it. I remember reading this quote and I'm, I'm big. on. I like to read a lot. Um, I'm big on um, when I see something that really resonates with me. I write it down. And this quote right here is from James Baldwin. And it's, it's, it states, not everything that is faced can be changed but nothing can be changed until it is faced. And I simply equate that to when you get to the point of being sick and tired of being sick and tired, Uh that's when true change is going to come. That's when you really can tap into the true word and the meaning of focus. And that is what really drives me. I wake up every morning and it's not so much I wake up chasing a dollar, but I wake up every morning understanding that my life is my choice. It's not what happens to me, but it's how I respond to a lot of things that happen to me. And I understand that when people see that from afar and you never do know who is watching, I understand it comes off as inspirational. I understand that a lot of people are going through it. And it helps them get through what they're going through. And so I love the idea. I love the fact of being able to, you know, create your own little silos of people who understand that they want to change their current circumstances 
and they're willing to do whatever it takes in order to get it done. Yeah. So behind the mask, the podcast, why? What what made you say yes to launching a podcast? Because you know it's work. We know it's worked <laughs> to, to produce a podcast and yet you do it faithfully. Why? It stemmed from my book. And I had no intentions on starting a podcast, but when I retired in 2013, I always knew I wanted to write a book and I wanted to share my story. Then it turned into, well, why not get other great linebackers who played the game and share the story of how did they become great? What made them become an outlier? And so when I did that and I went around from two years and I sat down with every guy and what made it so cool was I picked out a guy from every decade, from the 50s, 60s, all the way into modern day. And I simply got their stories just talking about how did they become great? What trials and tribulations did they go through to become the person and the man that they are? That spinned off into like, man, I did a good job with that. Why not be able to have these conversations, locker room conversations with people of status? And it doesn't mean that you have to be an athlete. You know, it can be I, I, some of the best interviews that I've had on my podcast is dealing with women. And it was great. And the reason why I continue to do it is I feel like as an athlete in particular, we give our stories to so many people and they tell it from their perspective. Mm. I wanted to create a platform to where I'm allowing you to be the author of your own autobiography, uninterrupted, unfiltered, and straight authenticity. And that's the reason why I decided to create the Behind the Mask podcast. And that's the reason why I still do it today. And that's the reason why I was like, I like this guy. I want him to be on the podcast because I believe that's similar to what I heard you say the first time that I heard you speak. And I thought that was incredible. That idea that so many people, not an athlete, but as someone who's been interviewed so many times, I remember seeing an interview in the New York Post and the person completely misinterpreted what I said. Got got me getting hate mail and all kind of stuff. <laughs> And I was like, what in the world? And that was years ago, about a year and a half later, I ended up starting this podcast. But and I also did not have a plan to be a podcaster. It just happened. And so we're here three and a half years later, and I love it. But the ability to tell your story is powerful, because if we don't tell our stories in any form or medium, somebody will tell it for us. And they won't always get it right. And there's so many parts of my story. I'm very transparent on this podcast, whether it has been child loss or me losing all my money, which is why I'm so passionate about what I do in the world or any any number of things, health concerns. Like when you tell the story, you get to remove the shame, right? Like if there's any shame, if there's any embarrassment, if there's any guilt associated with any decision you feel like you've ever made, when you tell it from your perspective, it <laughs> removes all possibility for someone to try to weaponize your yes. mistakes, your past, anything else. You cannot weaponize what I'm willing to tell. If somebody comes and says, Tequila, did you know Patrice lost all her money? You're going to be like, yeah, she already told me that. <laughs> like, so what else? Like what? And you know what else I like about that? Another way of saying, saying it too is... Now you control your narrative. Yeah. You cannot tell my story because I've jumped out and now I'm ahead of it. Your messaging has great substance. And I think you have, it's not by accident, the reason why your followers and your listeners continue to stay engaged and you continue to grow. So I appreciate the opportunity because anytime somebody is giving me something that I know can help me and it's of substance, I'm definitely sticking around for it. Absolutely. Listen, before I let you go, I'm going to ask you what we call some redefining wealth, rapid wisdom questions. So you're just going to tell us the first thing that comes to mind. All right. You ready? Yep. How do you define success? I define success by not what happens to you, but how you respond. How do you define wealth in three words or less? Hustle, 
desire relentless. Wow. We can tell you're an athlete. I don't think we've ever gotten those answers. <laughs> I love it. Relentless. Hustle, desire, relentless. Why relentless? Because it's not if adversity hits, it's when it's going to hit. The mindset has to be in such of a state to where you know it's going to hit. And how can you get over that hurdle? For me, it's always been that. And I truly can say that whether or not if you're dealing with athletics, now me being a consultant, those adversity, it hits. It hits different <laughs> in different venues. They hit different in, in, in different businesses, but it's going to hit. So I have to pre-program myself in my mind. I'm relentless. Ain't nothing you can do that's going to stop me. Come on. And for those of you purpose chasers who know all the episodes, doesn't that sound like greatness requires you to expect resistance? That's exactly what we talk about. It's not a matter of if, it's when, and you need to have a process for how you move through it so you can keep going because purpose isn't postponed no matter what's happening. What's one book that has helped you redefine wealth? Good Company, Arthur Blank. Oh, tell us like the the theme of the book or summarize it for us real quick. Arthur Blank, he's been like a a mentor to me. I let him know that, but without letting him know, I've done some things with him, with his foundation, and also spent a few times with him on just talking about like life and talking about the systemic racism. And the thing that I really like, I really appreciated about Mr. Blank was even with this book, he just talked about like some essential things to really keep you in alignment, regardless of whatever you decide to do. It can be athletics. We all know he, he does athletics. He's in the customer service business when it comes to the PGA golf store, Superstore. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know about Home Depot. And the thing that that's that I remember that's been a consistent is he always puts people's first. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean like the customer is always right. It's more so it's the customer and your employees because your employees are going to be the first indication or the expectation that that customer is going to get that first experience. Mm-hmm. So he puts people first. He listens and responds He includes everyone because he understands diversity and inclusion is a choice and it makes everybody better. The reason why is because when you look at our world, that's what we're made of is diverse and it's all about inclusion. One of the things that he also talked about was leading by example. Be someone who is very innovative. You got the the bureaucracy of how everything goes, but you cannot let that kill the innovativeness of your mind. And then the other one is what a lot of people know Arthur Blank for is just giving back to others. Yeah. You know, he understands that business cannot be separated from the well-being of society. And so, you know, when I, you know, when I look at him, I have a lot of respect for him because he's not a guy who just talks about, I'm going to just tell you how to make money. He, he, right. he doesn't separate society from business. They're both hand in hand. And he shows you how to be able to bridge both of them together. And you do it on your own terms. Love it. Love it. And let's see the last question. It's a fill in the blank. My name is. And for me, the truth about wealth is. My name is Takeo Spikes. And the truth about wealth is receiving clarity. Hearing what you need to hear versus receiving what you want to hear. That's good. That's really good because we underestimate the power of clarity. Yes. We underestimate the power of clarity. Because once you're clear, you could do anything. All the time. Clarity is everything. And, And I was talking with somebody about it the other day. If you protect your peace of mind, now you you invite clarity to come inside of your circle. 
And when clarity comes inside of your circle, get ready to put the seatbelt on and be propelled towards success. Come on, somebody. That was good. That was good. I love it. Thank you so much, Takio. I knew you I knew you would be great. I'm so grateful that you said yes to coming on. And I know it's going to be a blessing to the audience. And maybe we will score points with more husbands and significant others out there and back and, and excuse me, football lovers. See, I did y'all solid. Y'all didn't even know. All right. Thank you, Takio. I appreciate you. All right. What did you think? I think Takeo is really dope. I am so, so honored to have him a part of this Thoughtful Money series. I hope it opens up another conversation just about financial guilt in general. I'm really thinking through what an episode on that is going to look like in the future. But so many of us, you don't have to be a ball player of any kind and you don't have to be a multimillionaire or even a six-figure earner for you to experience financial guilt and how that plays out for many of these professional athletes and how it prevents them if they don't already have the muscle. Takeo had the muscle from watching his mom at the kitchen table balancing her checkbook. And I just love that visual. But many of us are not blessed with that muscle. And so the minute we come into that first $40,000 job or $60,000 job, if it's not the norm for our sphere of influence, we can be guilted into just doing things, investing in things, or should I say maybe throwing money away on ideas that really don't serve us and don't help the bigger picture at all. And I just love how he illustrates how he was able to be more thoughtful. Not that he was perfect. He said it himself. He did all the knucklehead things that all of us do, but how he was able to pull it together and the fact that he pours into so many younger and current players, I think is really a blessing. So great way to kick off this Thoughtful Money series. I can't wait for you to hear the rest. We have some incredible women coming up, sharing their stories about being thoughtful when it comes to speaking to your kids, speaking to your spouse, speaking to yourself. Yes, all of that. So stay tuned for the rest of this Thoughtful Money series. Let's talk about it in the Redefining Wealth Facebook community group. Come on over. If you're not there, what are you waiting for? We are having really great conversation there. Share, subscribe, rate, review all the good things. And until next time, I want you to go live your life's purpose find fulfillment and earn more without ever chasing money. Talk to you later. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.